HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, and you're listening to another episode of In the Drink, the show that brings you all things beverage-related, uh, beer, wine, booze, and the personalities behind those that, that bring them to you bright and early at 10 a.m. On, uh, on Wednesdays. Um, thanks so much for joining. Uh, for those of you whose first time it is listening, I'm Joe Campanelli. I'm the beverage director and co-owner of Delanima Lartuzzi and four and La Picho restaurants in downtown New York City. And I'm uh, super excited today because here with one of the owners of my my absolute favorite uh, new local bar, um, it's called The Wren. I'm here with Chrissy Harris, who is the owner and bartender at The Wren. And uh, prior to opening uh, opening The Wren, she was at Gramercy Tavern, which is by, uh, by all accounts my absolute favorite restaurant. It's definitely the restaurant I've been to uh, the most since I've been able to afford going to nice restaurants uh, uh, with uh, a little bit of regularity, <laughs> um, uh, where I understand she uh, learned a lot of her training. But anyway, I'm, I'm super excited to have uh, to have Chrissy here with us uh, at Roberta's on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hi, Chrissy. <laughs> Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. It's uh, this is really exciting. So thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, about where you got your your training uh, with bartending. How how did you become such a, a talented bartender? Uh, I started off by being not so talented bartender. Um, I I grew up in California and I and uh, started working in restaurants sometime between my freshman and sophomore year. Um, I played sports through college and and. Uh, I needed some stuff to do in between and, and to make some money, so I returned back from San Francisco to Napa Valley um, and got a restaurant job, as most people do. And I thought it'd be a summer job. Um, it turned into an absolute passion of mine. I started out as a host rezo 
turn maitre d', turned busser, turned barback, turned bartender. Um, I was out there at the CIA restaurant, and um, I fell in love. So I started out, you know, like I said, front of the house, host rezzo, and then once I got behind a bar, I realized it was so similar to playing sports. It was in an interesting way. It was like being a captain of a team, and everything needed to work together, and it was really exciting and interesting. Um, being from California, everything was vodka-driven, absolutely vodka-driven. So the first job I actually ever had was as a bartender proper was at this uh, martini bar downtown Santa Lina in Valley. And it was it literally was like 300 different vodka martinis that I had to learn. And it was all fresh squeezed juices. And, you know, everything was orange, blood orange vodka and, and, you know, all these things. And it was like mixing and tasting. And, and I, you know, everything was basically a version of a Cosmo, if you will. And so I did that for, I think it was like four years and I ended up on this coast, and I remember my, one of my first interviews was actually at Flatiron Lounge. And I sit down with one of the owners, and I'm just so green. I sit down, and I'm like, yeah, you know, my cocktail experiences. I make really good cocktails with fresh ingredients, and I build them and taste them and balance them. And I remember her looking at me kind of like, what? You know, and only in hindsight, after I actually got the job at Gramercy Tavern and worked with Jimmy, and did I understand really how different cocktails were from California to New York. And I realized that I didn't know anything. And I was like, I can't believe I was in that interview. Like I can't, she must've been looking at me like, where's this girl from? So anyway, to make that little short, that's, that's how I kind of got into bartending and, and under Jim um, at Gramercy Tavern and the wonderful staff at Gramercy Tavern, Juliet Pope, Kevin Mahan, all those guys, I really was able to see products, taste products, learn so much in such a great environment. And that's kind of how I hone my skills. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about Gramercy Tavern. But I think this is really interesting, uh, this this whole vodka in California to, to New York. I mean, we were talking a little bit before, before we got started about vodka. And I think you find a lot of uh, uh, good bartenders aren't so excited about vodka. And I know it's not my personal favorite mm-hmm. uh, favorite spirit, but... You've started to embrace vodka a little bit in, in your in your recent years, you're telling me. Yes, not personally as something that I would order out, but I think that there's a place for vodka in bars. And, and the place and time that I use it in cocktails would be, for example, if I make a Moscow Mule, which I think is a fantastic cocktail. Um, for those who don't know Moscow Mule, it's lime juice, ginger beer. Um, traditionally, it was Stoli originally because it's Russian vodka or any other vodka um and it's delicious and what you're tasting is there's a lime and the ginger and and the vodka just basically lets those other flavors go what i like to do is put a little float of fernet bronc on the top of it and what that happens is fernet's extremely bitter and delicious and a lot of people in the restaurant business just shoot it like it's water but for most people it's a really intense flavor but because the vodka's in that cocktail you can put a little bit on top and it spreads out that flavor and so vodka can be used in cocktails in a very interesting way to actually make a flavor more approachable. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that a lot of your cocktails at the Ren are, are very farmer's market driven. One of the things that they do like to you do with vodka is infuse it since it is such mm-hmm. a, uh, a, a a plain flavor. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we were speaking before about how vodka has to be, the, the definition is that it is colorless and flavorless. So um, one of the things that I like to do is is get herbs or fruits from the market and, and infuse it into vodka. And this way you can preserve those fruits and you can give your mm-hmm. vodka a little bit more flavor. Um, how do you incorporate 
the farmer's market and local seasonal ingredients into into your cocktails? A big part is inspiration. Just walking through the Union Square Market and seeing things that are in season. Um, I have a cocktail on right now at the Rand called Strawberry Fields, and that was inspired because I was walking through the market and the, the strawberries were so fresh and so amazing. And unfortunately, it was a short season this year for strawberries, and I think there's a little resurgence of the season right now, but those strawberries in the market are so good. They need to be in something. So that inspired the beginning of the cocktail. And then I happened to be passing this amazing herb, you know, <clears throat> bunch of herbs and saw basil. And I thought, all right, let's start a cocktail with that. Strawberry, basil, it turned into adding gin, and then strega. And it's this cool, herbal, sweet, you know, balanced cocktail. But the inspiration was going through the market and seeing what's actually available. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about how you got in contact with the folks from Wilfie and Nen. So, Wilfie, Wilfie and Nell. <laughs> uh, so you're at Gramercy Tavern, just this bastion of hospitality and, and good cheer and, and taking care of people and, and just just high quality all over. And then uh, Wilfie and Nell, also, um, in, I live in the West Village, just a super cool, like incredibly well-run uh, uh, bar that, that's very popular and hot and I think maybe a very different crowd from the Gramercy Tavern crowd. How did you get in touch with, with those folks to, to team up for, for the rent? I used to go to Bua, which Bua is their first, um, my partner's first bar. It's actually on, on St. Mark's between 1st and A. And I had tore my ACL, so I was had just come back to work. And I was doing like the day shifts, like lunches. And so myself and my friend Hannah used to get off work around the same time at 4 o'clock. And we'd go to Bua. They had these great windows opened up, and it was sunny and bartenders were so nice and amazing and they just knew who we were like the second time we were there and so we kept going back kept going back and then they you know they got friendly with us asked us where we worked and you know next thing you know they're asking me cocktail advice and things like that so when they went to open up Wilfie and Nell they remembered me called me up asked me to do their um consult for them for their wine a little bit for their beer and some of their cocktail stuff and so through that I also opened up because I was coming back from the knee surgery so I was also able to pick up little more shifts for them. So I actually opened Wilfie and Elf for them for the first six months as a bartender. And, you know, at the time it was fun and it was different because it wasn't Gramsci Tavern. It was a bar and I could just sling drinks and, you know, I didn't have to do the whole, you know, presentation of food and the wine pairing. It was such a different world. Um, so I guess I made an impression because when they went to, to start thinking about their next bar, they called me up and... And this is where we are. Yeah, That's great. Well, so what, what were some of the most valuable things you learned during your time at Gramercy? Oh, wow. <laughs> like, where, where to start? <laughs> yeah, where to start. I mean, God, it, it is a, it's a wonderful restaurant full of wonderful people. Um, I, know, think, I always talk about it as uh, it's like the Harvard for people in the restaurant industry. Absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's just the best. You leave, you know you have a certain caliber of, of if someone has worked at a Danny Meyer restaurant, but especially, especially Gramercy, uh, you know that, that, that those are people who are, who are in it for the right reasons, who have a certain level of professionalism. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it's just the best. So, okay, sorry. What, what, no. what, are, what are some things that you learned while you were there? Uh, I think hospitality is something I think that was already in my blood, but I think really honing it into an art. I, I learned that extremely well. Um, and also, I mean, the cocktail knowledge and the, the, the things I was able to 
taste wines that I've never even heard of regions I'd never heard of um, liqueurs and cocktails I'd never heard of and just really just somebody kind of saying this is all the here for you to taste and to try and go for it we're going to trust you like you take over the cocktail program you start making the cocktails and we're going to be here to support you and it was just there's the support and the and the belief that if you are good and you put your mind to it there they're going to they're going to push you into other things it's it's a fantastic place i mean if anybody out there wants to get into hospitality you should try to get a job there it's it's fantastic that's great um Yes, I agree. I wish that before <laughs> before opening up, uh, Delani and I would have spent some time over over at Gramercy Tavern. I think it would have been uh, it would have been a much smoother opening. Uh, um, you can it, still do a stage. You can just call them up. Hey, uh. I've been doing a stage at Table Twenty. Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't, I don't know the table numbers there, yeah. but uh, but yeah, going up and uh, and sitting, especially in in the the bars. So it's one of the best dining bars I've ever been to. It's just it feels. Oh good it feels like a bar that's meant for dining and I, I think that's part of the reason that um at all of our restaurants we really wanted to make great bar dining i, I just love that experience of it's a different dynamic when you're sitting with a bartender as Absolutely. opposed to a server um you feel i think you feel it feels a little more personal it feels like a little bit more like you're being personally taken care of mm-hmm. um because you're at their bar and it's very clear what what is their bar as opposed to a server section which which you don't know what that is um and so so yeah so i i absolutely love it um okay well we're going to take a short break we're going to come back with chrissy harris from the wren and thanks so much for listening to heritage radio network.org Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Welcome back to In the Drink. I'm Joe Campanelli, the host, here with Chrissy Harris of the Great Wren, the Wren Bar down uh, down on the Bowery, just really around the corner from our new restaurant, La Picho. Um, but it has kind of become my my local hangout. I, I really love it. I think it's one of the best. Uh, even if it wasn't in the neighborhood, I would I'd be traveling to go to the Wren. So I, I encourage everyone uh, 
to do so. Um, so thank, thanks very much, Chrissy. I actually wanted to ask you, uh, since I respect your cocktails and, and, and your hospitality and, and the bar so much, what are some of your favorite places to go and, and drink right now in the city? Um, my new favorite beer bar is called Proletariat. That's um, uh, on St. Mark's between First and A, and they have great one-off beers. It's like they get one keg of something, and you go on one day, you go on the next day, it's not there. You never know what you're going to get. Half the time they're sour beers. They're they're from a like a company that I know, but I've never heard of that beer. So I like that. I like going there. Um, I also if I go for cocktails, Death and Company is probably where I would still go to. I've never had a cocktail that wasn't balanced there. I might have a cocktail that I am trying because I've never heard of something in it, and it might not be my thing. But they're always perfectly balanced and delicious and wonderful. Um, so I don't get out much right now to drink so much. But uh, you'll also see me at the bar at Gramsci Tavern quite often because I go back there because it's, it's such a great place and, and I, I, you'll see me there. Um, and I do also frequent um, Bua, which I still go back there because it, it makes me feel taken care of. Which is where it started. Do you, where started. you have an affinity to uh, St. Mark's between First and A. <laughs> I also like PDT, which is right across the street. It's right there, yeah. Um, so... I don't. I think there's maybe my first apartment was across the park on the other side there in the, in the East Village. So maybe it's kind of my stomping ground. But yeah, I've been ready for that street. Wow. Uh, I actually used to live on One Ten Saint Marks, right oh, wow. above the Crooked Tree. So that's right over there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you you opened up uh, you opened up the Wren, which uh, did I mention? I love the Wren. <laughs> it's great, not it's just great. for for drinking. Yeah. There there are all sorts of tasty bites there um i love the the shrimp i think it's really mm. delicious um so what are some of the what were some of the challenges that that went with opening up your first bar um i think transitioning from being uh to do a sports reference here from being a captain or actual teammate to a coach um kind of taking yourself out of the game and having to to Either, even though I do work next to other, my other bartenders, I'm, I'm, I'm behind you know the bar on Friday nights getting my, my butt kicked with them just like everybody else. But I'm still an owner. So I had to realize that I had to act differently and I had to have a different sort of way that I thought about things. And so that was pretty really hard. Um, also, leaving Gramercy was really, really hard. Um, leaving this very lovely, warm, cozy nest to going out on your own and, and, and finding new partners and and learning about them and learning how you're going to operate with them. It, it's, it, was, it's, it can be a struggle. It's also great. It, it makes you grow as a person and realize that you need to go out and do things that make you uncomfortable sometimes. And what were some of the things that you were able to do now that you have your place that you weren't, that you weren't necessarily able to do before when you were working for someone else? Uh, I can order any alcohol I want. I mean, if there's something that I'm interested in, I'll order it. Um, if there's a cocktail I want to put on that I like, I, I just I put it on. Um, I can get any beards that I want and within reason. And it's it's I get a stop. You know, the buck stops with me with that stuff, which is which is great. I mean, I have made some off choices once in a while, like that bottle of you know something that a rep asked me to carry for him that's going to be on my back bar for the next 20 years you know that those mistakes but i think that being able just to decide and 
and do something is, is fun. So tell us about some of the new products that, that you're particularly interested in. Um, there are a couple products from uh, Haas Alpez, which is a distributor, that I think are really un- unusual and unique. Um, they have a great line of herbal liqueurs and fruit liqueurs um, and, 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 of course, also gins and other things. But as, as a producer, I think they've got great products that almost every single one of my cocktails has one of their products in it. Um, there's another great product right now that I really like that I have to figure out how to use because it's really unique. It's from um, Combier, which is the oldest triple sec producer in the world. Nobody knows that. They think it's Cointreau, but Cointreau's actually came out 30 years after them. Hmm. And they make cool, cool stuff. They have an Aves, which is actually made from um, gentian, which is a really hard thing to mix as well. Gentian's like a bittering agent. And it has this really kind of like woody, weird flavor, but it's really unique and unusual. Um, and the other one that they have right now is called Kumel. It's a K-U-M-M-E-L. And it's actually a cumin and caraway liqueur. So you smell it, and it's super savory. It smells just like like food, like it smells like cumin. And then you put it in a drink, and it's a little sweet, and you get that cumin, but it's like this cool, savory quality to it. And I'm trying to figure out how to put that in a cocktail because it does kind of throw you off in the, in the first nose. But I like the, I like those products that make me like, how do I make this into a cocktail? Yeah, I find that any time I taste with House Alpens, they introduce me to something new, and I'm like... I got to figure out some way to use this. I just don't know. I don't know how. Um, one of my favorite products products from them that you're seeing all around town is the, the Cookie Americano, yep. which I think is so delicious. It's so amazing. Just on the rocks, yeah. in a cocktail. Yeah, it's great. I think that has some of that gentian root in it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. In quinine. And yeah. God, that stuff's delicious. Um, okay, so if you were going to a bar with friends and say, you know, your friend suggested this place and you don't want to be high maintenance, so you, you just agree to go there and you get there and you're like, wow, this is, they are not trying to make it all nice here. <laughs> yeah. What would you order at that kind of bar? To be honest, it'd probably be a, a bottle of beer or a can of beer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're, that's the safest. Okay, so, but th- if that's off the table... Um, I would probably do a uh, like a gin on the rocks, something that's super simple um, that you can't really mess up. Right. You know. Right. And how about if you can't tell at first if it's not blatantly obvious if this is a bar that's that's doing good things or not? Because sometimes I've been surprised that you know some place looks like a dive bar and then you start looking like oh they care they care oh I didn't realize that. What are some of the the cues that that would would tip you off to, to saying that this place cares and is trying to do something good. Actually, funny you ask, because yesterday I was in, in um, Greenpoint with my sister, and I we walk into this bar, and it's it from all all other purposes, it looks like a sort of a dive bar. And I sit down, and I notice that the, the bartender is using a jigger, which first is always like, oh, they have jiggers here. They care what they you know mix together. And next thing I know, she has green chartreuse, maraschino, and I'm like, she's making a last word. This is awesome. I'm in Greenpoint at this bar that I thought was just going to be like, oh, order like a, you know, a Modelo in a can bar. She's making the last word. I was like, all right, good. I ordered a cocktail instantly. Um, The back bar is huge. If you see, um, I think, uh, multiple vermouths, you you mentioned that. But, you know, if there's Antica formula, that's always a good sign. If Campari is out, prominently great. If they have options for, for lots of gins. Those are kind of things to me that tells them, tells me that either bartenders go there 
or the people behind the bar really care about it. Yeah, so, so gin's having a moment right now, huh? Oh, yeah. Especially in Brooklyn, there's there were no distillers a few years ago, and now there's like multiple Brooklyn gins alone. Totally. Um, what are some of your favorite gins, and how do you how do you best like to use gin? Um, I think gin is the reason it's, it's so popular right now is that it is it is so different in in the breadth of gin. You've got these really junipery, harsh, you know, intense gins, and then on the other side, you've got these aromatic, lovely, beautiful, soft you know, feminine ones as well. And I think that that means you can make, you can pour them on the rocks with a twist. Great. Or you can make these beautiful balanced cocktails, or you can have a great gin and tonic with something that's super junipery. Um, I, I think gin's awesome, but what do I like to do with gin? Mm -hmm. Um, pretty much anything. Um, I think Negroni is probably the best cocktail in the world. And I, the reason I think that is because it is hard to take, a sweet without a citrus or some other acid and balance it. But the bitter of the Campari allows it to be balanced. It's, I think for me, I think maybe this is a thing that I got from Jim. Meehan was like, he never wanted to put citrus in cocktails, but he wanted to get them balanced. And it was like this thing, like he, he wanted to have a balanced cocktail without a citrus because I understand sometimes you add a citrus into a cocktail and it kills all the beauty of all the nuanced other flavors in there. So Negronis are are great, you know, they, they're balanced, you want to keep drinking them. Even though there's Campari sweet, it's still bitter, and you've got all these other things, I think that, I don't know, I'm sure you like Negronis too. So. Ah, I love Negronis. Like wax poetic on Negronis. Uh, no, 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 this is the appropriate place to be waxing poetic about Negronis. <laughs> uh, what, so how would you make your, your ideal Negroni? Do you like it on the rocks? Do, do you like yeah. Carpano? Um, I know some people like a Carpano Antica Formula, Punta Mes mix of vermouths. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's your what's your ideal Negroni? Um, I would have to say uh, Plymouth um, is was my go-to for a long time. Um, but I also like um, Brooklyn Gin, spelled like Brooklyn's actually spelled um, the Blue Bottle one. It's really citrusy and it's got a lot of it's citrus, citrus heavy, and I think it's kind of a nice aspect in there. So I've been using that as well. I was a huge Carpano Antica fan for a while, and now I've actually gone towards Dolan, because Dolan, I think, is a little less of that orange candy quality, and I want a really, like, bright, refreshing uh, Negroni. Um, and I usually just do straight Campari. I don't, I haven't been putting another bittering sort of mm-hmm. thing in there. And straight up or on the rocks? Rocks. Rocks. I Always like it on rocks. the rocks, too. Always. Yeah. So it's, it's intense when it's straight up. It's totally intense. Um, yeah. Uh, if you've been to, have you had our... Uh, Roasted orange. Yes. Negroni spagliato. That's actually my ideal. Because what we do is we take the, uh, we take orange wedges, marinate them overnight in punte mess, um, and then char them on the plancha. And then we'll muddle that into, into the Campari. Um, and then make a spagliato, which is, which is a Negroni, but instead of the gin, it has sparkling wine. So it's just a lighter, more refreshing Negroni, something that's not quite as heavy. I, th- I kind of think as, I know Negronis in the, the scheme of, of Italian cocktails are considered aperitif drinks, mm-hmm. but they're, they are so strong that I like to have them at the end of the night. True. Um, and I like the spagliato or something that's a little bit lighter uh, at, at the beginning. Um, what, okay, so I want to talk about a couple of tips that you might have for our listeners. If someone was going to start making cocktails at home, what are some great tips that you can give them? Um, my general rule is if you're built, when you're building a cocktail, my general rule is two, one, one. And that means two parts of alcohol, one part of a sweetening agent and one part, uh, of, a 
citrus or acid. Um, and so for me, that's a general, obviously. But say, for example, you love margaritas and you want to go home and make an interesting margarita and you're walking through Union Square and you see that they have strawberries and basil and you see them and you, you like them. So they look great. Take them home. You can make a simple syrup. You you basically can anything on that rift of two parts, like take your tequila, maybe muddle some strawberries, make a quick, simple syrup, which is just equal parts of sugar and water and, you know, put the basil in it when it's warm and let it sit for 20 minutes and strain it out. Now you're making something that's was just a margarita, but now it's got all these cool other flavors in it and it's interesting and unique. And so if you like something, look it up, look up the recipe and you can modify it in any number of ways. Will you maybe once make one that's terrible? Yeah, we all do. I put a cocktail sometimes that I taste it. I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, but then I, maybe I get inspiration about some other aspect of it. So I think don't be afraid to try to mix things, you know, look at a recipe and then it's just like cooking. If you love a certain type of, you know, pasta and you change one thing in it, next thing you know, it's slightly different. So it's, I, my principles are basically two on one taste, make sure it's balanced, but then have fun and have fun. And then the great thing is, you know, if you if you if you're making a pasta and you mess it up, that's that's another half hour an hour, but if you make a cocktail, it probably yeah. only took you a minute to put it together yeah, so you right. can you can adjust and and keep playing around and trying again. Um well, Chrissy Harris, thank you so much. Uh thank you so much for getting up so early. I'm sure you were <laughs> working really really late last night because Chrissy is a working bartender/owner yes. of the Ren and I really encourage everyone to go check it out. You will probably see me there. Uh <laughs> thanks again, Chrissy, and thanks to all of you for listening to In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Drink is by Renee Lopez. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org.